it is that time for another edition of the Rebel Radio Podcast, um, which can be found at www.therebelradiopodcast.com. Um, yeah, I posted that on my social media the other day, on our, our, our social media, I should say. Number one question I get is, how do you listen to the podcast? And we always do this at the end of the show, and every now and then we'll throw it at the beginning of the show. Well, you go to that website, and there are links on there for everything. If you, In fact, if you click the Podbean link, it has even more links on it because we're on yeah. multiple apps. We have Spotify, Our Heart Radio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, um, and a few lesser-known podcast apps. And you can, Or you can listen right there on the website um, or on Podbean. Podbean has an archive of all the episodes because uh, that's our host. So that's how you listen to the podcast. You go to our website, theroboreopodcast.com, and uh, if you cannot figure out a way to listen to it from there, then you're technologically technologically challenged. Let's just say, <laughs> yeah, a <laughs> um, little bit. You, even YouTube, if that's your thing, all the all the episodes post to YouTube. Um, the only problem with the YouTube app is the YouTube app, for some reason, cl- stops playing audio when you close. Not when you close it, but if you just put it in the background of your phone or whatever. Yeah, I don't know why YouTube. Every other app doesn't do that. That's an audio app, but YouTube, for some reason, hasn't fixed that yet. So fucking weird. Like you don't you have to upgrade to premium if you want to do that? You do. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't pay attention to their, uh, their, um, what they offer for premium. So you know, I know on, on whenever they did a uh, YouTube Red, I think you could you could oh, get. Yeah, that's yeah. still that's a silly thing to have to make you have to leave the app open. You know, because mm-hmm. they want you to look at their subliminal messaging and their their. Um, advertisement that's what it is all to get inside your head that's right and uh and i decided we're not even going to bring up this ongoing writer strike anymore this week because apparently we're not knowledgeable enough or professional enough about it as we got told by an unknown named friend of ours yes <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> you called us out and um i'm just gonna leave it at that i'm not i'm gonna i'm gonna take the high road here and um, say well s- excuse us for not knowing all the facts <laughs> and uh he he's probably grumbling right now those motherfuckers <laughs> but uh he knows who he is so man right yeah oh yeah he knows who he is he's listening right now <laughs> scratching his head watching and, uh, tentacle stuff but i will give you know i, I do this every now and then yeah, I do. I do want to before we get heavy into the show, some shout outs to some people that either text me or mention things on social media, and that that's a, just some of our our closest friends and, and listeners. And and uh, my boy Lewis, um, who is all who texted me today, asked me if we had covered a, a certain movie, and I appreciate that. My my, my friend Sean, who I went to uh, school with and hung out, ran the roads with back in the day. Sean's always uh, sending me messages and his appreciation for the show and. Uh, of course, uh, Brett, who you know, Brett's always texts me about the show too. And oh yeah, and a, friend, and a friend of mine from my play Star Wars Galaxies with Tracy, she's always uh, telling me have a good show or listening on. She usually listens on Tuesday mornings and we'll make comments. And uh, you know, just uh, just a few of y'all that are um, you know that do send me messages of support, and and we do appreciate it. it doesn't go unnoticed, and uh, you know, and, and nobody on Matt's side of the family listens. No, that's not true. No, I have a few family members that listen. But, uh, Every once in a while, uh, my cousin Henry will listen, um, but he gets he's so busy. He works like six days a week now, so it's uh, it's tough for him. Um, so yeah. every once in a while, he'll shoot me a comment, and I'll be like, "Oh, he listened this week. Cool, you know." <laughs> 
And then I got a, a friend that uh, listens to us uh, whenever he can catch up because he, he listens to a lot of podcasts. But it's yeah. like if we if we do one that really, really catches his eye, like if it's a DC film uh, or a Marvel film, he he I've he had, wants to I've listen to it. Had told me that, like, I don't really want to listen about that movie. And that's fair. You know, maybe it's not a movie for you. you know? Yeah. So, oh, and that, that's a, another a, a person I work with. I just recently uh, met. He's a, my new rep for Red Bull. His name is Andy. And he was saying he listens to podcasts. He said he listened to a couple episodes uh so I appreciate that, Andy, for checking us out. You know, hopefully nice. he sticks with us. Um, you know, so so you know, a little support of our friends there that support us for the show. Um, you know, but uh, how's your week been, man? Uh, it's been it's been good. I feel like uh, you know it's it's moved along quite fast. I feel like we're just like going, you know, just flowing through time, man. Like we're in a DeLorean, you know. Yeah, it's um, I, I feel that burning ass. Like, yeah, I mean we're almost August. I mean we um next week is my birthday movie pick, which is crazy. Um, and before we know it, the, the kiddos will be back in school, and we'll be fucking putting Christmas trees up, <laughs> you know, before long. For real, like, holy shit, man! Twenty uh, twenty, you know, and I think it's um uh, maybe it's a testament to a testament to uh, the year has been more normal than the last three. You know, since COVID hit. Um, you know, I think if you really so. Think about twenty twenty three has been a pretty, pretty normal year considering what the world has gone through the last few years. So maybe that's why we're just back in the swing of things. You know, I mean, definitely, definitely back in the swing of things as far as it goes to movies. Um, maybe the yeah. box office isn't where it wants to be. You know, some of these movies have not been as successful as these studios would like. It's kind of disappointing to see the Flash fall down a bit and Indiana Jones because they were good films, but then. Uh, then we had a phenomenon hit this week where two movies that were highly anticipated hit and they made a shit ton of money. Um, so, you know, the box office isn't dead. It's not, but it's not completely recovered from pre COVID numbers either. You have certain films, that sure. are really, really big hits, but uh, you're not quite getting those consistent hits as you were before COVID. And, uh, and hopefully it comes back, but this, this weekend has definitely been a big one for studios as, as Barbie hit theaters, and so did uh, Christopher Nolan's highly anticipated Oppenheimer. Um, and uh, I'll I'll start because I know you also saw Oppenheimer, but you did not go see Barbie because you don't have um, it's not your demographic, so to speak. If that's fair, I mean, I'm yeah. not saying your wife <laughs> wouldn't want to see it, but you're probably not going to go out of your way to go see it. Um, and uh, and man, I'll be I'll be perfectly honest with you, Matt. Knowing knowing you. Uh, you know, these, these men online are triggered by this movie, which is absolutely ridiculous. I think you might be the type that gets a little triggered by it, just knowing you. And I say that with a lot of love, brother. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, just because I know you, I, I know that I know you so well that you will watch Barbie and go, oh, I don't know. They were trying to take away our masculinity or something. I could just see you saying that. And uh, maybe you won't, but I but I could see you saying that. You know, well, I, I mean, you just looking at the trailer, they look like a bunch of metrosexual dudes, you know, it's like they're in, <laughs> not, they're in pink, you know, you don't fall far from that. That true. Yeah. Man. I mean, you, you, you bottled once and smelled like cinnamon. Okay. I'm yeah, never uh, yeah. you told me that. This is true. <laughs> this is true. My but, past uh, is not clear. <laughs> that's right. But I, I took my, my daughter and, uh, I sat in the theater and there weren't a whole lot of guys in there, but there were a lot of really good looking women. I was like, okay, this isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it man, it's a thoroughly entertaining film. And and here's my simple answer to the masculinity attack that these men on the internet mostly that are probably 
too fat to get laid and just don't, you know, um, have any kind of life or the ones who are probably complaining about it. You know what? There's lots of men fueled movies, a lot that the girls have one. I mean, it's that simple. You know? Yeah. Let the girls have one and they deserve it. And the movie has a wonderful message about girls and who they sh- deserve to be in life. And, and uh, the cast is really good. You can tell they had a lot of fun making this movie. Margot Robbie is great in it. Uh, Ryan Gosling's really good in it. And it's just a highly, highly entertaining film. I heard the uh, there's like old school toys that are that are trending on eBay now, like the Allen doll, because Allen makes a an appearance. And I I guess there was this Ken's best friend idea that came out in like the 80s or something for right for Barbie. And it just kind of went away because it wasn't popular. And now it's like worth two hundred, three hundred dollars for this doll. (laughs) Yeah, it's like I'm not obviously super familiar with Barbie and her history. I mean, I know why it was created that the creator, Ruth, uh, I can't think of her last name, created a doll for her her daughter to play with that was more grown up than baby dolls. And she meant for it to be her intentions were for Barbie to be something that little girls can play with. Yeah. And, um, and over the years it's expanded to different ideas and different things. And, and it's created an empire of a uh, highly collectible dolls. And, uh, and, and, you know, and the movie does, I guess there's a lot of toy cameos. Like you just said that you have to be a yeah. familiar with. I just found it. It's, know. it's, it was made in the sixties. This person has it going for like nine hundred and forty nine dollars. That's that's okay. more money than you know the the walk the first edition Walkman that came out you know with Guardians. It's crazy, that's unbelievable, man. I mean, it's just like, but 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 you know, good for good for that, man. It's good that that stuff gets popular because of something like this, and and um, you know, and, and it really it de- it deserves its accolades. It really does. It's uh. It's a. It was a fun movie, very entertaining, legitimately funny in parts. Um, you know, uh, well acted. Everyone's like I said, they're just having a ton of fun making this film. Margot is so good. Um, and the movie, what I loved about it too, and this is a, kind of a minor spoiler, but non-spoiler. The movie's yeah. not afraid to make fun of itself. It's narrated by Helen Mirren. She does a narration in the movie. And there's a scene where Barbie's breaking down and crying, and she's like, "Oh, I look so ugly. I'm terrible." So the narrator jumps in and says. Note to the filmmakers, if you want this to be believable, don't cast Margot Robbie. I mean, that's a brilliant joke, making fun yeah. of yourself, you know, <laughs> and because uh, she is uh, just such a pretty lady, you know, and um, I mean, definitely my Hollywood crush right now. I mean, <laughs> you know, she's just, she's, she's smoking, you know, and, uh, and and she's good in the film and, and deservedly so. And I don't know if the movie's um, going to win Oscars or anything like that. I don't know. I didn't feel like watching Barbie was like an Oscar type film, but, but I honestly could see like Ryan Gosling, he's really good in it. I can see him getting like a supporting actor nod at least, you know, a nomination or something because he is really good in the film. And, you know, Ryan Gosling, you know, is known for playing kind of, you know, good looking, tough guys, things like that. So it was kind of cool to see him play something that might have been a little bit out of his shell. Um, but but he's 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 really good in the movie. Yeah. Um, and, and major props to him. And um, it's just a fun movie, man. And then, you know, I've decided to the Internet and people just want to complain about everything. That's honestly what it is. And uh, because they feel demasculated by Barbie, they want to complain about it. And it's just, it's just a fucking movie, man. Nobody told you to walk in there and say your nuts got ripped off because you saw a Barbie movie, you know? Yeah. I haven't seen, like, demasculating complaints. I've seen complaints that all the men are bumbling idiots and stupid. And yeah. they don't like. They said that they don't like being depicted as... But it's like, you know, it's, it's a comedy, you know? So yeah. it's like... You know, as far as as long as it's entertaining, as long as it's not like 
Chris Hemsworth in 2016 Ghostbusters dumb, right? You know, then I'm like, I think it was that dumb. But there's a purpose for it because the purpose is that the Barbies run that land. It's Barbie land and everything. So yeah, the kids have their place. So I didn't really feel like you know it was like that. But I mean, it's fine. Is what it is. You know. Um, I heard it's similar to Lego, the Lego movie where Barbie gets up and it shows you what she does her day. Um, there's yeah. a theme song about how everything is awesome in the world. And then she goes to the real world and then there is real kids that show her how to make things better. And then she goes back and makes things better. There are certain elements like that. Yeah. I mean, which is what Lego movie is. <laughs> yeah. It's got some similarities. There's no lie there. And then it has Will Ferrell on it, just like the Lego movie. And he's That's hilarious. Movie. Will Ferrell is actually really funny in the movie. Um, I love Will yeah. Ferrell, man. I feel like he's, he's solid in pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's some movies that are better than others that he's in, but you know, I feel like he always brings it, brings the comedy. Right. No, it, it's good. It's entertaining. There's a wonderful speech by the actress America Ferrera in it that really, you know, will, a lot of women are really appreciating that speech and the way it's written. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it was good. You know, and that's all I can say. I mean, you know, again, if you can't just go and watch it and take it for a movie, then, then don't watch it. Now it was, or like yeah. the dude that was in the theater, the literally, and I normally he had, he was on his phone the entire time looking at TikTok. I swear, I don't think he ever left the app for two hours. I was like, really, dude? It's like that. It's like you know. And wow. I didn't, I almost wanted to go complain, but I didn't want to be that guy. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. come on, man. If it was Alamo Draft House, they'd throw his ass out. Yeah, that's I mean, right. It was ridiculous. And then um, I was also able to catch um, the same movie you were caught and. You know, if I had known I would have been able to go Wednesday, I imagine you and I probably would have gone together. But I told you just go ahead and go because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to. Yeah. My schedule opened up, and I went and uh, saw <laughs> Oppenheimer yesterday. And I know you saw it a few days ago. And uh, we won't get into your after movie experience because that's yeah. I know it kind of sucked for you there, but uh, but uh, it'll all work out. But um, man, so we I would have preferred to see it Wednesday. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> but, but we uh, we both saw Oppenheimer, and you know, I've always been a, I've been a big fan of Christopher Nolan since. You know, I've been a fan of him before Batman Begins from when I saw Memento back in the day. So I've always been following his career. And, uh, man, this this movie, um, man, it, it's hard for me to say this because I really like his Batman trilogy a lot. But this might be his goddamn masterpiece. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's an you know, this is a story about I mean, there's we might go into some minor territory spoilers here. But if you don't know what this movie about, it's hard to talk about this movie without spoiling it because it is about making the atomic bomb. And, and I don't think the movie is about spoiling. It's about the journey that to get there, you know, it's, and uh, that's how I feel. So, yeah. you know, um, and, and you, this is a story that on the surface sounds boring. Let's just be honest. Uh, making the time bomb. I don't want to hear about scientists, but Nolan crafts a tale that is not boring. Um, it's interweaved with uh, some flashbacks and some flash forwards, you know, but, but it's not confusing like Dunkirk at all. It's easy to follow. Yes. Um, and and the acting in this is some of the best acting I've seen. It carries the film. That's like there's no CGI. No, it's no an actual old school style film, like they made yeah. in the fifties and sixties, where the acting tells the story. They might as well hand Cillian Murphy the Oscar right now. They might as well hand Robert Downey Jr. best supporting actor right now. I think there's nominations coming for Emily Blunt and maybe Iden Heinrich as best supporting actors, also because they're really good in the movie. Yeah, um, it's just solid from the beginning. Cinematography, editing. Best picture, best director. This thing may sweep. You know, it, it's that good, and 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 that seems like a bit of overhype, but I really believe that. Um, it's 
it's long, it's three hours. And I, if I had one small beef with it, I felt after the Trinity test, it slowed down a little bit that last 40 minutes, you know, if yeah. that's fair to say, then it picks back up again the last 10 minutes as it comes to its conclusion. Um, Cause you get to that magnificent Trinity test sequence and it's incredible. It's amazing. Then the movie just kind of slows down a little bit. Um, that's probably, that's honestly maybe the only beef I have with the entire movie. You know, it was just the pacing all of a sudden just kind of halts. Kind of drops right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, but it picks back up, like I said, in the last 20 minutes or so. Um, but just, it's refreshing to see an old school film um, made with just great acting, no CGI, practical effects. Uh, Cillian Murphy, my God, he's so good in this. I mean, it's one of the best performances I've seen in a long time from anybody. And no, I, hey, yeah. I know you saw it too. Yeah, no, Cillian, I mean, he's never been like that lead guy. Right. I, I would say even uh, the closest maybe he got to a lead-ish role was maybe Red Eye or 28 Days Later. Well, I was looking at his know? career, and he did 28 Days Later, of course, was put mm-hmm. him on the map. And then he had a few movies where they tried to make him the lead guy, but they just weren't good parts. Yeah. You know, you could tell. Yeah. And Cillian really, I feel like he really does a really good job of, of portraying Oppenheimer. I mean, obviously, none of us ever met the guy, but... You feel like Cillian, you know, put, you know, his put a personality to it, you know, and uh, and really, you know, led the charge uh, on that movie. Uh, And man, you know, he just he's very makes makes the character very interesting. And I think uh, I think I want to order that book. I want to read uh, American Prometheus now because of that. And, uh, you know, the book that inspired the movie, it's for sale for like 1599 on Amazon right now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, now I become death destroyer of worlds. <clears throat> I had a misconception about the atomic bomb and, uh, I, I thought, I thought Einstein had more of a role, you know, but he didn't, he, you know, was like, you know, maybe got asked a few, you know, check down questions, you know, and that's it. <laughs> right. And, uh, didn't realize that, you know, it was the way that it was uh, in Los mm-hmm. Alamos. Um, so it's definitely, an, you know, if you're a World War II fan, you know, and you just, you love history, I think this is a film you're going to love. Uh, yeah. And man, Florence, dude. God, is she like smoking in that yeah. film? Yeah, and, I have a confession yeah. to make. I missed the second nude scene. I had to go pee, man. I didn't know what it was in the movie. I was like, okay, it seems like a good time to go pee. And I walked back in the theater and I look up and I see boobs for a brief moment. Then the scene was over. I was like, damn, I missed the second nude scene. <laughs> what about the third one? There, I thought there were only two. No, there's three. So there's one at the, at the beginning, obviously, um, you know, they're, they're talking and then, whoa, you know, they're in the bedroom. And then yeah. I feel like the second one, was whenever they're in the hotel room and she's oh, sitting yeah, in a yeah. chair. Yeah. That's the second one. The third one. Yeah, I guess that one is, was so quick. I didn't. Yeah. The third one is whenever they go back to the non flashback scene and then Emily Blunt's looking and she's visualizing Florence on top of Cillian. And that is like the intense one. It's that must like, be the one I missed then. Yeah, okay. dude. That's the one where you're like, you know, it shows the back. You know, she's like straddling Cillian on a chair and bouncing yeah. up and down and like grinding them. Like, it's like, this is, it's like 
borderline <laughs> porno dude and and then it shows it goes to her front and she just gives emily blunt this look and you're just like holy crap you know uh yeah dude and I, it's like florence she looks like she look, looks like a darn you know she reminds me of like a kid because she was in you know uh fighting with my family and she played like a little teenage page you know and uh and then she was in uh you know the north the north man or whatever and then she was in avengers or whatever uh, of course, here we are perving out on her in, in a movie that's more important than that. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> We're just like, geez, I did, never looked at her that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, <laughs> you know, I saw lots of ways now, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, I want to go back to um, you know, the importance of you know this story. You know, you if an American director had made this film, I think that it would have been uh, embellished the uh, hero aspect of Oppenheimer. Yeah, but I think by having a British director like Christopher Nolan make it, I think he can see it with a different eye, and uh, I think he does enough to realize. I think the movie does a good job presenting that the science of it was important mm-hmm. and it was a marvel, but it was also a very dangerous, destructive road they took, and that Oppenheimer struggled with and his feelings towards what he did, and. Um, and it also, an American director, too, might have made it a little overly political. Where Nolan, I don't feel he did that. He let the images speak for themselves. You know, mm-hmm. there's a very disturbing shot towards the end of the film of a nuclear missile. Um, and and it's there's no death in it. But you, and it met, that image to me was so powerful that you got what, what they meant. Without yeah. it being political or without it, without it hurting Oppenheimer's legacy or anything, I think they did a good job of appreciating his legacy, but also realizing that it's, it's a tainted kind of frightening legacy that he has too. Yeah. He was afraid things would escalate and, you know, he was, you know, that's what, you know, he feared and, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's nothing that I I don't think it's a political thing. I think it's a a human thing. You don't want that, you know, weapon getting into the wrong hands. You create something that, you know, if for some reason the wrong person got a hold of it, then, you know, the whole world is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, so um, it's crazy how he was kind of, you know, shut out because he was trying to uh, create some kind of control, some nuclear control. Mm-hmm. And I mean, uh, he was hired to do a job and that's what he was yeah. told, told to do. And, uh, you know, and, and he had his moral qualms about it. And uh, but but, he, you know, from what I what I, I they don't talk about in the movie is he got paid very well. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, that house was pretty nice that he yeah. was in. Almost generational wealth. I mean, they, the American government paid him very well for this project. Uh, you know, a few several million dollars, which is a lot of money back in that time. You know, so uh, so he did get paid, so it was a job. But that doesn't mean you have to feel comfortable with your job. You know, um, everybody. Yeah. But uh, but just uh, just a just a remarkable film. I mean, yeah. you know, from beginning to end. Uh, you know, um, I mean, how good was Robert Downey Jr. Too in his role, I mean, dude. So him as Iron Man, he's. I thought he was a. I thought he was a good guy. Didn't yeah. realize he was kind of a villain. He's an antagonist of yeah. sorts. Yeah, I mean, but he's so good in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, just the, the entire cast. I mean, I mean, Josh Hartnett's in the movie. You barely recognize him. You know? Yeah, I had to do a double take. I was like, "Holy crap, that's that's Josh Hartnett, yeah. Pearl Harbor." You know, Mister Teen Heartthrob. You know, I mean. Yeah, just just a solid film, and uh, 
you know, if you're on the fence about it, you know, go see, I mean, go see both films. You know, go see Barbie, go see Oppenheimer, have a good time in the theaters. Oh, I don't yeah. think I'd recommend doing what people go and see them both in one day. That's a lot of sitting down almost six Dude, hours. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, but, but Oppenheimer um, definitely is worth seeing in, in cinemas. I think it's a, uh, you know, every time, every now and then a movie comes along, that's more than a movie. It's a cinematic experience. And that's what Oppenheimer truly is. I mean, just a yeah, experience. And, 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 you know, it's not necessarily a feel-good movie, but but you're going to walk out of there very satisfied with what you just watched, and you're going to understand the weight of what that movie means and what it is. And I think that's a fair thing to say what Nolan pulled off, is he told a very complex, uh, maybe not maybe not a good story that everyone wants to hear, but he but he told it with a, with a, a certain dignity. And, it, and a lot of that is paid to Cillian's performance, you know, I think. Because, uh, I mean, Oppenheimer wasn't necessarily a good man, but he wasn't really a bad man either. Exactly. You know, he, was a, he was a flawed man. That's a good way to put it. You know? Yeah. He had his flaws. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, he, but uh, he was brilliant. He saw things differently than what most people did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and now, you know, the world is, uh, has paid the price for it. I guess you, it's fair to say. And, and unfortunately those things are out there and we hope that, uh, Every day, no one decides to use them because that would suck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to be burnt alive, you know. But, man, how, how magnificent, before we get on to a little bit of news in our featured film, how magnificent was the Trinity test sequence? I mean, just, it was, like, just a powerful, powerful, engaging sequence of the film. Yes. I mean, one of the best I've seen, just the tension of it and the buildup. And, and, and that silence. Yeah. You know what I'm okay. talking about? Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, and you knew it was going to be successful because we all knew the story last all the most, but it, but it's still Nolan's direction just builds and builds and builds. And there's this moment that's just, I mean, that was, that's the cinematic experience right there. And, and I'm glad that Nolan is getting his praises and hopefully he wins an Oscar for this. Cause I've, like I said, I've loved this career deservingly. So man, he's a, he's a brilliant director. Yeah. And it's a good, good film. Um, there's very little news because, unfortunately, the strike is causing uh, not a lot of stuff. I uh, I watched Beast Wars. Oh, yeah, that's right. You watched. Well, Rise of the Beast. Yeah, Rise of the Beast. Yeah. I'm going to watch it this weekend. Yeah, so I won't. I, I I did not like it as much as I thought I would have. I, I feel like the trailer, you know, was better than the movie. There's spots that I did like. There's some some. Good robot battles in there. Optimus, Peter Cullen, you know, does a, a really good job as always. Um, and, you know, I just feel like the the human element in this film was uh, not as good as I wanted it to be. I feel like they definitely try. They try and, you know, make that, you know, emotional kind of, uh, you know, heartfelt <clears throat> human. Sorry, <clears throat> got a... You know, I got some scruffiness in my throat. Yeah. No, ah, dude, this guy. Um, but, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, it just didn't have very good, uh, you know, establishment of that that human emotion. Really, between the humans, um, there is a little bit between the, the Transformers. Uh, Pete Davidson voices Mirage, and I feel like he's just, I know he's he's Pete Davidson, but I feel like, there's just way too much comedy in there uh, to where it just doesn't work with him uh, as well as I want, wanted it to. Um, and, and I, I feel like I would rather watch uh, rise of the uh, revenge of the fallen or something like that. Mm. I made that, that comment to you 
Uh, I feel like I, you know, at least I've got, you know, Megan Fox in that movie, <laughs> but you know, uh, that's, that's how I feel. Uh, I would rather watch that. And then they try and, uh, you know, make this little twist at the end that I feel like is just not going to work, but yeah, it is what it is. That. Yeah. But and, you watch it, let me know what you think about it next week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will watch it. Um, all right, just uh, like I was going to say, there's not really much news going on due to the Hollywood strike, unfortunately. Like, I've been scrolling through the news, and it's all like comic book news, video game news, so not a lot of major pop culture news. But one bit of news did come out, uh, a couple of things. Uh, on September 26th, Scooby-Doo fans, you can watch the rumored-to-be-canceled Scooby-Doo and Crypto 2 movie. This isn't mm-hmm. Scoop 2, the other movie that was apparently being made. This is a animated Scooby-Doo movie that was apparently showed up on canceled list. And it stars a bunch of DC villains, the Joker and Solomon Grundy and all that. Um, and I watched the trailer. It looks kind of fun. Um, so in September 26th, you can watch uh, Scooby-Doo and Crypto 2 if you're a fan of those uh, Scooby-Doo movies. Some of those are actually really good, those animated Scooby-Doo movies. So, yeah. Know. I remember back in the day, whenever they'd have Batman and Robin uh, help yeah. uh, Scooby-Doo, I always thought that was cool. Oh, yeah. There have always been a lot of crossovers. And uh, apparently this deal was signed just before the strike hit, but... Um, we all were wondering whatever happened to the Lando television series that was mentioned two years ago, right after Solo came out, that Donald Glover is going to reprise his role as Lando. Yeah. Um, well, it turns out Donald and his brother Stephen are going to be take over as writers for the show and showrunners, and basically looks like they're going to make it for Disney themselves. Okay. Um, so uh, I was, you know, it's funny. I was thinking that the other day, like, where, where's Donald Glover been? You know, I know he does his music thing and all that, but uh, so apparently he's been deep at work with Disney to try to get this Lando series off the. Uh, off the um, production line and get it on to Disney plus. So it uh, looks like we're still going to get that Lando, you know, uh, people uh, solo Lando was Donald Glover's Lando is one of the better parts of solo. He really pulled off a young Billy D Williams very well. Um, so I, think I like him, be, man. Yeah. I think it'd be a fun series. You know, um, I, I think it could be a different take on the star Wars universe. See how Lando maybe got Bespin. You know, I think you got to go the prequel route, see how he wins Bespin and how he gets all that. And I think it'd be fun. Um, so we'll see where they go. So uh, hopefully they solve this strike soon so they can get it going, you know, you know, and get it made. Get it made, man. And that is literally all the news I have. Yeah, I mean, I foresee no news maybe next week if uh, things don't progress. I know, right? If it's nothing nothing can happen in Hollywood, nothing can get promoted. It's like news is going to get, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be like, Toby Maguire was spotted uh, eating a Sunday. <laughs> you know? Oh my God! That ridiculous. Why did Thomas Hayden Church? We'll talk about this. Is his oh Spider Man Four? Why did he say he heard? That sounds like Thomas Hayden Church read on Twitter. Someone said they're making Spider Man Four, and he wants to say an interview. Sony's. They Sam Raimi's already said he's not doing it. Tobey Maguire said he's not really interested. Tobey Maguire said Tobey Maguire said he would come back as Spider Man if it's like another crossover movie. But he's already said yeah. he's not really interested in doing a solo movie. The only one that said they would do a solo movie maybe is Andrew Garfield. He has mentioned he would do it. But yeah. To- Toby's moved on. Sam Raimi's moved on. I can't believe that news sites, that's how slow the news is. They picked up on this rumor and posted yeah. it everywhere. Because Thomas Hayden Church, who hasn't been relevant for 15 years himself, wants to say he heard something. Oh, get out of here, man. Now, <laughs> I, I heard I heard a, um, a correction to that rumor that there is another person that went and said, no, it's not that. Um, what it's what it's supposed to be is a fourth movie with Tom Holland. 
right. and Sam Raimi's going to direct that one and that Tobey Maguire is going to make an appearance and he's also going to um, appear in, uh, in uh, not Infinity War, uh, Secret Wars, that he's going to yeah, appear in Secret Wars somehow. Maybe, but why would yeah. you just not bring Tom, Watt, Tom Watts back? He already directed the other three Spider-Man films and he yeah. backed out of Fantastic Four. So I think you'd give him the fourth Spider-Man film if he wants it, you know? So yeah. that's ridiculous. I do think, though, that the way the Marvel Universe is right now, they need to get Spider-Man 4 going soon. Because I the way they, especially the way they ended that, it's like, let's see what happens next, you know, um, and find out and go from there. Since they don't have much, apparently I haven't watched Secret Invasion, but I've not read good things about it. So we'll see. Wow. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it hasn't been that great. Um. All right, let's get into today's feature film, a uh, all-time classic from director Sergio Leone. And uh, this was his, um, you know, he didn't plan on making another Western, but uh, when Warner Brothers throws money at you and asks you to make it, he, okay, I'll make it. But he also the stu- told the studio, you let me make it the way I want to make it. And Warner Brothers was like, yeah, okay, you know, you made us a lot of money with the Clint Eastwood films. We'll let you make the Western you want. Um, and that is Once Upon a Time in the West, starring uh, Charles Bronson and Henry Fonda, who had never played a villain up until this point in his career. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, yeah. I'm going to let you summarize this movie because this is um, for a 1968 film when films were very much told in a, a pretty easy narrative style back then. I think that's fair to say this is a pretty complex film. It, it is. Um, you can simplify it by it being a kind of kind of a revenge story. Um, so you have uh, McBain, and I only remember that name only sticks to my head because uh, of uh, the Simpsons character McBain. You know, uh, yeah. but uh, McBain uh, is trying to build this railroad, uh, and you find that out later. Um, and he's supposed to be he's supposed to be beaten and coerced to sign over his land to this railroad baron. Um, who, you know, wants to take control of that land so he can own it. But, you know, because McBain bought it whenever it was like no one wanted it. And he knew the railroad was going to come through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he steam engines need water. And it had like the only water for like 50 miles or, or something like that. A, lo- a lot of miles. And so he knew that that place was going to be important. So they send, um, you know, some bounty hunters over there. Uh, one of them being... Uh, 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 Fonda's character, Frank, and uh, that damn Frank, he <laughs> instead of doing what he was told to do, he shoots the guy, kills him before his wife can get there, and uh, you know, I guess have relations or whatever. And then they shoot the kid. It's like, yeah. what? I was like, man, no way he shoots the kid because this is the first time I've actually like sat through and seen all of it. I've only seen bits and pieces, so this is like almost like a first time watch for me. And I was like, oh, they're going to, they're going to take the kid. You know, this is, he's going to, they're going to take the kid. They're going to, he's going to do errands for them. He's going to pick pockets or something, you know, no, they they fucking shoot him. I'm like, what the, what the shit, you know? And so we go on from there and she, you know, Mrs. Macbeth shows up. um, And, you know, I don't know how a guy like that gets a girl like that. Cause she's, you know, pretty (laughs) damn. Yeah. Yeah, he must have had fucking deep pockets, man. You know, because if, if you got deep pockets, you know, if you're a five, that makes you like an eight or a nine. Played you know? by Claudia Cardinelli, who is actually still alive. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah. I didn't think any of these characters were alive. 
Um, but she kind of enlists the help of the uh, harmonica player um, who you find out actually has it out to get Frank. So uh, once they find out um, who Frank is and where he is and where they headed, uh, where they're headed, um, him and uh, this other um, hitman who Frank actually tried to pin those murders on um, helps the harmonica player played by Charles Bronson um, to kind of subplot uh, these, the railroad Baron and, and Frank uh, from getting control of that land and, and going and getting Miss Macbeth to basically sign over the land or, or have her killed. And Frank goes over there and, you know, they end, I guess she's trying to save her life. So she's just like, Hey, you know, have some ass and Basically. you know, yeah. And so Peter Fonda goes over there and he's like, yeah, you like the touch of a man. Do you? Ah, you know, he says stuff like that. So you don't know. Is, is she trying to, you know, she trying to just save herself or does she really like the touch of a man? I don't think she likes him because she once yeah. tries to get him killed at the end and Bronson actually helps him escape after this auction where she, uh, um, you know, she gets like $5,000 because Bronson, you know, turns in Cheyenne, who, uh, is the other bounty hunter who took the, or hitman who took the, right. the fall for the killing of McBain. And, uh, so he goes to Yuma they, they go and, and take him to Yuma, just like, uh, they were taking Russell Crowe to Yuma and Bronson, uh, ends up meeting, uh, uh, Frank for a, a nice gunfight scene and you find out that they've got history whenever the harmonica player was younger um they made him hold up his brother who was had a noose around his neck and uh of course he got too tired fell to his knees and his brother hung and uh that harmonica was stuffed in his face you know and uh that's why he had the harmonica the whole time and he uh he blows you know blows a hole right through his chest Turns him around with that shot. It's it's freaking masterfully shot. Of course, mm-hmm. zooms in on the eyes, and Charles Bronson's eyes, you know, are you know, really, really well like shot. You know, for like the the tone, you know, depicting the tone of the moment, and uh, just the the pain and the anger. Um, I feel like you can see that in in that shot when they go back and forth between uh, Fonda, but he's able to to take him out. Um, you know, and, uh, McBain, Miss McBain, uh, gets the station made. You can see it being made at the end of the film and it shows the railrood going through. She so offers her like, to stay, but he doesn't want to. Yeah. He doesn't want to stay. Cause he's the lone gunman, man. Right. It's, that was his duty in life. And now he must carry on. And the strange thing about this film is, um, originally when Leon agreed to make it, he wanted all his usual players to come back. He wanted Clint Eastwood to come back. He wanted Lee Van Cleef to come back. Mm-hmm. He wanted Eli Wallach to come back. And they all were like, no, we're done. We just spent, you know, six, seven years making movies with you. None of them wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, so Leon kind of told Warner Brothers, like, hey, if I'm going to do this, I need a star. And he wanted Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda first turned him down. Yeah. He's like, I don't play bad guys. And and then Sergio Leone sold it to him. Like, hey, imagine this when the audience sees you for the first time and they see your, your blue eyes and they're like, holy shit, that's Henry Fonda. And Henry Fonda liked the challenge of playing a villain after Leon sold it to him like that. And then he showed up on set with contacts and a beard and stuff. And Leon was like, oh, no, get rid of all that. We want to see your face. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, So we know that the audience knows that they're seeing this guy who's played good people his entire career as playing a villain. And, that's uh, awesome, man. 
Yeah. And it's definitely um, – you can imagine who those guys would have played. I imagine uh, Eli Wallach would have played Cheyenne. I think mm-hmm. Clint East would have played Harmonica. Lee Van Cleef probably would have played uh, maybe Miss, maybe Mr. McBain, but then he would have been out early in the film. But, you know, you just think of the parts that those guys would have played. Probably. Yeah. And um, I, I, I would I would have said Lee Van that Cleef would have played Frank. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. would have had to play Frank. That's the yeah. only way they would have been able to yeah. do it. And uh, but you definitely could see Eli Wallach being Cheyenne. Definitely, even though, even though uh, Jason Robards is a is fantastic in the role. Um, you know, he, of course, he went on to a great acting career too, Jason Robards. Um, but you know, this this movie is definitely more artsy than Leone's other films. There's a lot of long shots in this. A lot, a lot of shots. Uh, the opening sequence is like 13 minutes alone in a. But it's it's brilliant because he they said they tried to put music to it and nothing worked, so that's why you hear the sounds of the water dripping, the windmill chining, the chair rocking. Yes, the it all adds to the suspense. You know yeah. something big is coming. The flying you just don't know when it's going to come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it's and it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's that first thirteen minutes just you're, it's gripping. You're sitting there watching like what's going to happen, and it's fantastic. That's, that's how you open a movie, man. That's yeah. I feel like that's just that's how you open a movie. It's one of the greatest uh, cinematic openings of all time. Yeah. It's it's definitely one of the best Westerns ever made. Maybe one of the best films ever made. Yeah. And it's funny because when it came out, it wasn't a huge hit. But a lot of that was uh, Hollywood just being uh, moviegoers, being a little tired of Westerns. I saw you know, that. And it, yeah. and it was and it was Barely cut. made its money back. Yeah. The movie was th- – the original cut that showed in Europe was one that we watched. It's available now. It's almost three hours. They mm-hmm. cut it back to about two hours and 15 minutes for the U.S. theatrical release. Uh, so there were some things in the movie. It didn't flow right. The pacing was off. It wasn't until years later. Critics initially didn't like this either because of that. And years later, once the full cut came out, it was more widely available. It started building that cult status. People realized how good it was. And now it sits at 8, 8.0 and higher on most rating reviews. Uh, most critics have see that this is a classic. It's not my personal favorite Western because it's, a little slow in parts, but I appreciate what this movie does. Yeah. As far as Leon film, I'm always going to like the good and the bad and ugly. And my favorite Western of all time is always going to be tombstone. That's just my favorite Western, but I appreciate this film for what Leon does in it because it's uh, the cinematography, the acting across the board is fantastic. Um, some good, good shootouts in it. Uh, we, we never really have, the super standoff in this that we got other Leon films. We have yeah. smaller, they're more smaller standoffs like Frank and, and, and harmonic at the end, but we never, there's no, and Leon did that on purpose. He's like, oh, I've already done the Epic standoff. He kept these a little bit tighter, you know, he did. And, um, but it works for the stories told. Um, it still is amazing to see Henry Vaughn playing a villain because this is a guy, this was America's golden boy. You know, he, he was, he was a good guy. He didn't play bad guys. Um, you know, and like you said, I, I I would love to be in the theater in 1968 and see him shooting that kid as a as a movie fan. That had yeah, to be mind blowing to see that happen. Now, it's it's not any less sad, but we see that kind of stuff in movies, and now it, so we're a little jaded to it. But that had to be just as a moviegoer, like, well, what did I just witness? You know, and we've talked about that before. Movies you can go back in time and witness them for the first time with those reactions of the day, and this that's one of those moments in this movie. Yeah, man, I, it's just you know he's so cold blooded, and uh, he's a little a little despicable. Um, I think I think Lee Van Cleef may have been 
he has that despicable look about him, Lee Van Cleef. Fonda doesn't, but he does a really good job of uh, really, you know, portraying that, dis- yeah, that sleaziness. Sleazy, despicable. Yeah. yeah. You know, the way he talks to, uh, to, to Miss McBain. Uh, yeah. Whenever he's with her, you're just like, oh, man, get your hands off of her, man. Get, <laughs> yeah, geez, man, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. So that's that's how I felt about him. You know, it says we've been on a perverted track already today. This movie shows some skin for 1968. Her sure does, man. And her side yeah. boob. And I'm like, for 1968, quite a bit. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. That was still taboo back then, you know? Yeah, oh, man. I, that's still times where, you know, below the knee, you know, it's like, yeah, whoa, you're, well, you're showing some leg. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, Elvis was starting to do his thing at this point. But, again, that was still, that was controversial. What do you mean Elvis is shaking his hips, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, that's not allowed. You know, you can't show girls, you know. Um, but uh, it's also interesting to note that for a Leon film, this was all, this was actually all shot in English. You know, a lot of his films were shot with actors with different, you know, they would film their own languages. They would dub them over. Yeah, um, but majority of this film is all shot with uh, with English actors and their their actual voices. I don't, I didn't notice any a lot of overdubbing in this compared to some of them. I'm sure it's there. I just didn't notice as much. Like good and the bad and the ugly. It's obvious when Clint is speaking English and the other guy is speaking French. You can see it. You know. Yes. And it's all dubbed over. You know. But uh, that was the style. That's why they called it spaghetti westerns. That's right. You know, it was funny. This movie it has a spaghetti western style to it, but it's also maybe not as spaghetti Western as the Eastwood films were, you know, it's more of a standard Western in some ways. It's more just by style with the long shots and, and the uh, epic feel and the music and, and another amazing score from uh, Neo Mark, Mar- Mar- is that how you say his name? I mean, he did all sorts mm-hmm. of, you know? Yeah, no. And uh, I like how the, the gunshot, um, you know, whenever he does shoot the kid, uh, the gunshot goes off and then boom, it's like the train. You just see the train, uh, you know, horn going off. And it's like, I was like, oh man, I was like, that's a, that's a pretty cool technique, you know, transitioning over to that scene that way. Uh, yeah. I thought that was pretty nifty. Yeah, no, it was good. And, uh, but you know, you watch this and, and, you know, as much as you think like Leon wanted to work with people working with before, um, but kudos to Charles Bronson and, 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 Jason Broussard's and or I might have said his name wrong and uh, and uh, Henry Fonda for just the, they they are so good in these roles you know I mean Bronson you know is a guy that uh, for a long time I wasn't aware that he did some westerns and things you know um, you know he was always known as the Death Wish guy and then he yeah. went on to make B movies and stuff but you know he did uh, the Great Escape you know he's really good in that and he did this and he did a few other movies of this style and and it shows that he was a pretty versatile actor you know that. Uh, I didn't realize till as I got older how much Bronson did as an actor, and he and he's he play, he's calm, cool, collective, and like you said, he's they Leon is masterful using his eyes to tell his story. Mm-hmm. And they he just zooms in on a man, and I feel like you know he he's able to act a lot just by just by showing him. And uh, I was like, man, I was like Bron, you know, he's one of those uh, directors I feel like that can get you know, a little bit more out of an actor. Uh, Cause yeah. like you said, Bronson was like the B movie King, you know, the action movie, uh, yeah. you know, re- revenge movie, uh, big old dude, you know, and this one, you know, he does a good job of, uh, you know, showing that 
other like emotional side to him that he, he lost his brother and uh, that he's, you know, still hurting and, but he's also, you know, angry and he has that, that rage in him and uh, wants to take out Fonda in his, his revenge arc. Hmm. Yeah. He plays and he plays it with a good subtlety um, and and it's, and it's well done, you know, and I like the twist where he, uh, you know, bring Cheyenne in to buy the uh, ranch. You know, I was like, Oh, that's, you know, first time I saw it, I was like, wow, that's pretty genius. You know, $5,000. Yeah. And then he had a whole plan to help him escape too. <laughs> Cause um, yeah, I thought that was, that was a brilliant little twist in the film. Cause I'm sitting there going, what's going to happen here? How's she going to sell this ranch? And he comes around the corner like, Oh, look, I have this guy. <laughs> I, I didn't realize it was shot in Spain. Yeah. Most, a lot of his films were, a lot of Leon's films were shot in Spain. Most of the good and the bad and the ugly and all those were all shot over there. And uh, I think that's why part of the reason Eastwood and them kind of turned them down. You know, they spent many years over there filming and Eastwood was ready to be at home and, you know, not travel all the time. Yeah. Kirk Douglas, I guess he, he lobbied for that role and played Cheyenne. And uh, yeah, he, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't sought out by Leon. He, uh, he was like, Hey, I want to be in one of your films. I, I like your films. And I guess he got his his agent involved and uh, was able to contact Leon and was able to get that role. Yeah, yeah. Kurt Douglas did a lot of the westerns too. People don't know about, but um, but man, just uh, you know, this is a good episode for remarkable films. A brand new movie that's in theaters. It's a remarkable film in Oppenheimer and and a really good movie in Barbie that's in theaters for people to go see. And then we discuss an all time classic that uh. If you've never seen, you should see. It's available to watch on Paramount Plus. If you like westerns and never watched Once Upon a Time in the West, uh, you know, sit down and enjoy this film because it, it is really good. And and sometimes it's hard to get into older films because they're paced a little differently than modern stuff, and and their stories are told a little, a little more through dialogue and, and and exposition and stuff like that because that was style of storytelling. But but still, it's something you can sit down and appreciate and really enjoy. And Once Upon a Time in the West is an absolute all time classic. It's worth watching. One of the best movies ever made. If you haven't seen it, definitely go see it. It's it's long. Last of all, even the credits last long at the end. Um, you know, they last ten minutes at the end. But it's uh, it's entertaining. The even the credit scene. So um, yeah. you know, if you're if you got some time, you got some uh, burnout from the movies that you know you've been seeing lately because you you know just so much has has come to theater this, this past week. And uh, is going to come next week with uh, Turtles. You know, I hear that's going to be pretty good. I'm on the fence about that still. The kids kind of want to go see it. I'm like, yeah, we might. I mean, I'm on vacation yeah. a week after next, so maybe I'll take them to go see it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely check it out, especially with it being on Paramount Plus. It's like $5 a month, you know. Uh, yeah. Check it out. I'd rather watch Turtles, though, than Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle just doesn't interest me. Yeah, definitely. Um, so next week. We go from one classic movie to another classic film that, um, but a classic film that's more, maybe not as well known. Uh, you have to mm-hmm. be in it's more cinema circles and things like and follow cinema to understand this. And it, it is my birthday pick next week. Is my birthday is coming up, and uh, and so we're going to go talk a film from my favorite director of all time, and that's a, of course John Woo. And this is his film that um, created the heroic bloodshed genre. I mean, with this movie, I mean we've already covered. The Killer and Hardboiled, which are his two more famous heroic bloodshed movies, but it all got face started. Off. With this, and yeah, face, face off. off, 
Fates also wrote Bloodshot Moon. But it all got started with this film in 1986, and that is A Better Tomorrow.上头就是在讲核社会渗入警戒的事 所以人家是被人拿<笑> 我是一個第一次流拍淚我發誓以後都不會被人用槍指住我的頭你再打我一槍打死你的米仔你整我完全指住我的頭你夠膽就可以讓我打死我我想我已經沒有了細佬我不想連你這個朋友都沒有埋我
Starring a very young Chow Yun-fat is a movie that really gave him his start in Hong Kong. He had already been known for soap operas and things like that, but uh, mm-hmm. Wu cast him in this film, and uh, it's it's um, it's quite an epic uh, film for the time. Uh, uh, you know, we talk about movies with you know practical effects. This movie's all practical effects and things like that shot back then, and it's a uh, it's not my favorite Wu film, but it's definitely one of my one of the best and it's it's worth watching for people who never seen i know it's gonna be a first time watch for you um so yes what you're gonna say about it and um this movie was so popular in japan that they were selling out of trench coats everywhere because (laughs) in 1986 that's a true story wow stores could not keep trench coats in stock because of this film um but a highly influential movie and when you see it, you'll know exactly. Like, I mean, you've already seen early John Woo films, so you know how influential he is. But Better Tomorrow is another one of those where you'll see how influential his filmmaking was. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking next week on the show. Um, going to be a fun one. Um, but until then, man, uh, the RebelRadioPodcast.com, as we mentioned earlier in the show, it's where you can find all your Rebel Radio needs. And we thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, until next time, continue to be safe. This has been Mark. This has been Matt. And remember, as always, just go there and do it. it.